Thank you to our helpers. Well, today is our third week in the series on living values, values that influence the way that we live. Are the values that Jesus talked about and demonstrated in his life important for you? And are they important for our church community? Those words that uh, he said are there in Scripture, so they are there as important for us. David introduced the series about being salt and light in the community and being agents of change in the world. Jesus wants us to value our neighbourhood, to regard it as important where we live, where we are located, and to make it better and to make it brighter. And that implies to us here in terms of our church, where our church is located. Last week, Matt challenged us about taking God seriously because that's what Jesus did and that goodness comes from a personal journey with Jesus as he invests his goodness in us. It was a good word. Goodness comes from a personal journey with Jesus because Jesus' life in us imparts goodness to us. I'm putting a frame around my comments today, so I want you to imagine a picture frame around my message. And I want you to imagine a picture frame around your life that holds the teaching of Jesus and our understanding of it. And so this frame is, God delights in you and loves you unconditionally and desires the best for you in your relationships. Remember that. It's a frame around the message and a frame around your life. God delights in you and loves you unconditionally and so desires the best for you in and through your relationships. The living value we are learning about today is being reconciled, going and making things right. And what we do with our anger It's the first of six examples which will be explained in the next few weeks where Jesus introduces the original commandment, you have heard it said, and then gives his interpretation, but I say to you, you have heard it said, but I say to you. As we learned last week, Jesus does not abolish the commandments but penetrates to the deeper spirit of the law and shows how it is a matter of the heart, of what cannot be seen, but is obviously expressed outwardly in behaviour and actions. And so the teaching that uh, gives rise to our living values is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew wrote his Gospel for a church community that was predominantly Jewish in the latter half of the first century. And there were arguments going on in this church community about who had the correct interpretation of the law. And so Matthew, in this church community, holds up for them the teaching of Jesus and says, listen to this, the way that Jesus interpreted the law and also how he lived it. That gives us the context of Matthew's Gospel. 
And so we're going to listen now to Jesus teaching about anger and reconciliation because obviously it was a problem in that church community and we've seen it, haven't we, evident in so many church communities. And Jesus' teaching about anger and reconciliation is in the Sermon on the Mount. And because the Gospels were all written for church communities, we're going to read this aloud together. And let Jesus' words speak into our own personal experience and to our life as a community of faith. So the reading will be up here and uh, I want us to read it together. Matthew 5, 22 to 26. You have heard, say it with me, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. If I asked you, has anyone committed murder in the last week, you would think that's not a very appropriate way to start a sermon. Well, I can truthfully say, stand before you and say I have not committed murder ever and not even in the past week. But has anyone been angry during the week? Probably all of us. We're not going to go into a time of confession, but you might hold your answer there in your heart. For me, when I feel angry inside, which is not necessarily about what someone might have done to me, but sometimes about what I see happening to other people, particularly those who are marginalised or don't feel that they belong or who are on the edge of life or the edge of groups, something bubbles up inside me that wants to make it right for them. Now, it seems a legitimate reason for anger, but Jesus clearly warns that I must be very careful every time I recognise that I am angry, whatever the cause is. The commandment not to murder is broadened to include even the harbouring of anger against another because anger is the basis of murder, whether it's a long-held resentment that someone builds up or something that spills over on the spur of the moment. According to Jesus, anger alone or murdering someone in your heart is a violation of God's law. And we find this in other passages of Scripture John says in 1 John 3, anyone who hates another brother or sister 
is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. You know, when we read this, I think sometimes we skirt over scripture and we only read the, you know, the good bits that we like that give us comfort. But there's challenge here. And it's because God loves us so much, he wants the best for us in our relationships. Hear the radical character of Jesus' teaching. For Jesus, the inner attitude is of supreme importance. And so later in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 15, he says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying and slander. They're all grouped together. Our outward behaviour might not break the commandment, but our inner attitude might harbour resentment and a desire for revenge. And so we face the same judgment as someone who has committed murder. Jesus challenges even the words we use because words have power to hurt deeply and to destroy relationships. So that uh, schoolyard saying that you might have said or we heard, sticks and stones might break my bones but names will never hurt me, is not actually true because names do hurt. What will we do when we realise we are angry? What do we do with it? So we need to get practical about applying Jesus' teaching. Jesus indicates that we are to deal with it quickly before it has a chance to fester and grow in us and become something bigger, which we carry around like a burden. Two pieces of advice are given in the readings that we heard. Paul's advice in Ephesians, don't sin by letting anger control you. So he says, don't get angry. He says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. This is about keeping kind of short records. And Jesus' advice is to even leave worship or our spiritual practices if we suddenly remember that someone is angry with us and we are to go and deal with it to be reconciled. It's not wrong to get angry. Anger itself is not a sin. It's an emotion that rises up in us. But how it is expressed can lead to such damage and hurt in relationships if it is not dealt with quickly. Now, people will express anger in different ways. We could go around our our room today and, and there would all be different ways in which you know when you're angry. Some people become violent and aggressive. Some lash out with words. Some go silent and repress it, pretending that nothing is wrong but you sense that something has shifted in this relationship. Some people seethe and some want to plan revenge. It can cause friction and divisiveness in families, in churches, in your street, your neighbourhood, in your workplaces. Remember too that anger anger channelled in a constructive way can lead to change. For example, confronting evil or addressing injustice or something that is not right or giving us a passion to make situations right that are wrong. That's a constructive way in which we might feel angry about something and want to do something about it to make it right. But as Matt reminded us last week, 
We need Jesus' help to deal with anger. His life in us, abiding in us, dwelling in us, because in our own human strength, we can't do it. Anger is such a powerful emotion that we need Jesus' help to deal with it. This is about the transforming power and grace of the kingdom of God working in my heart and in your heart. You might also want to talk to someone about it. You might go to a counsellor or minister or friend, someone that you trust and say, look, I'm really having problems. I'm angry with this person because. Can you help me? What should I do? It's not something to be ashamed of. I'm reminded of a story about a grandfather who was imparting some lessons about life to his grandson. And he said to the boy, a fight is going on inside me. It is a terrible fight and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, lies, superiority and pride. Sounds a pretty nasty, vicious wolf. He said the other wolf is good, is joy, peace and love, humility, kindness, generosity and truth, compassion and faith. This same fight is going on inside you, he said to the little boy, and inside every other person too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? And the grandfather wisely replied, the one that you feed, the wolf inside you that will win is the one that you feed. So how do we keep our relationships healthy and good? Relationships in the family, in our church community here, in our workplace, in our neighbourhoods and among the people we see every day because our relationships are important. For Jesus, reconciliation and forgiveness are closely related. And because we are recipients of God's grace, it will work itself out as we seek to make right the relationships that might have gone wrong or that have been soured by something said or something that has happened. But what if it doesn't work out? What if we follow Jesus' teaching, we, we go to someone and we want to be reconciled? What if it doesn't work out? What if that person doesn't want to be reconciled, doesn't want to enter into forgiveness? Paul writes about this in Romans 12. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Notice the you. So far as it depends on you. So you go and you do what you can do in a relationship and to try to live peaceably with all. We can't control what other people do or how they respond. But you've probably all had examples in your own experience where you have gone to someone and said, look, you know, I messed up here, I'm really sorry for what I said or did, or something seems wrong between us and I'd like to make it right. And it does work out. It can catch sometimes the other person unaware 
as grace works in their life too. The importance of reconciliation in community was emphasised in the early church, so much so that the practice was for members to circulate and greet one another before communion and confess to one another and to be reconciled. Now, we sometimes greet one another, but we kind of don't add that other bit. We say the peace of the Lord be with you, but that actually means that we will live in peace with the people that we say that to. In one of the early Christian documents, said to be from the end of the first century, there were instructions about Christians gathering on the Lord's Day to break bread to worship. And it said, let no one who is at odds with his fellow person come together with you until they be reconciled. How's that for an instruction about worship? Don't come until you are reconciled. What if that was introduced again as a practice in our church today? You know, there's something interesting about our hospitality area and David, you know how somebody with new eyes sees things that we see all the time and don't recognise? David pointed out something to me this morning. You know the table out there that has the circle and the rosters and everything? It's obviously one of the communion tables that was used in one of the four churches because on the front of it, it says, this do in remembrance of me. Now, very often that is on a communion table. It's out there in the hospitality area. And I thought about this. I thought, well, we're entering worship together. We're to do, take communion in remembrance of Jesus. Do I come through this door and feel that I'm reconciled with my brothers and sisters in the faith? So there it is there as a reminder of what they practised in the early church. Reconciliation, forgiveness, saying I am sorry to another person. Do we really think it is important? It is sometimes easier to ignore and avoid people against whom we hold a grudge. Just ignore them. Don't sit with them. Don't talk to them. But that creates a wedge in the harmony and unity in a community. I have a remarkable story to share with you about reconciliation. It's a true story that happened about a month ago in Melbourne and it involves a ministry colleague whom I know, not at this church, and uh, I have asked his permission to share it with you because it fits beautifully into a message about reconciliation (coughs) and anger. He was supporting... Uh, a, a couple of guys that had come to the church needing food and material aid. And so he helped them for a while. After they left, he realised that his iPad was missing and it had been taken. You know, He felt angry about it, particularly after helping these people. And he wanted to report the theft to the police in the hope that it might be able to be found. And he thought about that for a few times, but sensed that God was saying to him through a very strong impression, don't report the theft, just pray for the exercise of their conscience. Don't report the theft, just pray for the exercise of their conscience. So he did. But he shut down access to his iPad, which was wise, and closed his banking apps. He prayed and let it go. About a week later, he had a phone call from the thief 
his conscience was so troubling him. His conscience was in hyperdrive and he couldn't rest until he returned the iPad. And so he did. This man that had taken the iPad and the minister met and they prayed. The man who had stolen the iPad cried and the minister and this man embraced in reconciliation. And this is what the minister said. He is my brother and God has done more than return an iPad. He has spoken peace and reconciliation. This is the real world of the heart. In the world of the heart, there is room for grace. There is room for facing up to the consequences of our choices. And that is what happened for the man who stole the iPad. God worked in his heart because of someone praying for him and his conscience was stirred about what he had done. In the world of the heart, there is room for reconciliation and forgiveness that goes far deeper than the law ever could. And that's why I want you to remember the frame that holds in place the teaching of Jesus and the way of Jesus and the frame around your life because it will help you in your everyday life as you face your own weaknesses and as sometimes the actions and words of others can hurt you. And this is the frame. God delights in you and loves you unconditionally and so desires the best for you in and through your relationships. Can you see how that worked out for the minister who had his iPad stolen? Can you see how it worked out for the man who stole the iPad? That God desired the best for both of them, regardless of what the man had done, and confronted him in his heart and brought them together. So this is the living value. Be reconciled. Go and make things right. That word go is significant because Jesus uses it. Uses it. it places the initiative on us. Go and make things right. I'm going to pray now and then David will lead us in communion and we'll have a time of response after communion where you can think about how God is speaking to you in your life about how you handle anger and what you do about reconciliation. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the power of your words, for the power of your grace that reaches into our hearts, for the power of the life you lived and for the power of the Holy Spirit who is there to help us in our weakness. And so this morning... We ask you, Jesus, to move among us, to touch our hearts and our conscience about things that we might have hidden, things that we might need to talk to someone about, things that we might need to ask help for. And we thank you above all that you delight in us, that you love us unconditionally, and that you always desire the best for us in and through our relationships. We give you our praise and thanks. Amen.